Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is David Sandstrom, Chief Marketing Officer of Klarna. Klarna made its big debut in the US last year in the most American way possible, during the Super Bowl. Since then, it's been steadily growing its presence in the U.S., most recently rolling out a physical card and inking a partnership with the Chicago Bulls. For Sandstrom, Klarna has an opportunity to become a super shopping app, where content, commerce, and influencer marketing coalesce. But there's heady competition to become this super app, not the least of which is from major social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram with massive user bases. As Klarna grows, its challenge is to keep its edgy, rule-breaking brand fresh while scaling to meet a global opportunity. Hi, David. How are you? Hi, I'm pretty good. How are you? Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. Are you you calling in from Stockholm right now? I am from a very snowy Stockholm. It's been, we've had a blizzard for three days now. So yeah, it's crazy. Three-day blizzard. I thought we had it bad in New York. Um, so talk to me, we, we spoke a few months ago sort of about Klarna and how it sort of came to be the brand that we all recognize today, a bank that's pink, it's, it's different, it's irreverent. Talk a little bit about, you know, what's been going on with the brand now that it's a little bit more established in the U.S. It's a bit more of a household name, I would say. What's changing about Klarna's brand and marketing strategy in, in this market? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of things have changed in the last couple of years. We, um, a, as you probably remember, we started out as a, you know, as a challenger fintech, quite uh, angry, almost aggressive in our approach. Uh, we were very, um, you know, contrarian in what we did. The pink is obviously obviously part of being contrarian in a in a very bluish um, and male and boring industry. Um, and a lot has changed since that, right? Uh, we're, we are slowly becoming a household brand. I wouldn't say that we're there yet, pretty far from, but um, the, the strategy has had to change. So we've added a lot of things that one does and has to do once you grow. So we're moving into more traditional media, um, more into TV advertising, print advertising, out-of-home advertising, things that actually reach a much broader target audience than the digital marketing. That is still Mm -hmm. at the core of what we do. But reaching new audiences has been a huge part of becoming a household brand. Because I think also the definition of being a household brand is that a lot of people know you, maybe without using you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, I want to get everyone to try Klarna, to like Klarna, to apply Klarna in their daily life. But for now, in order to become a household brand, everyone needs to know us. So going into reach media in a completely new way um, mm-hmm. is something that we have added. Um, but also things like uh, sponsorships and partnerships. We partner up with the Chicago Bulls a couple of weeks or even months ago. Um, we just came out of the All-Star Weekend now. That is also something connecting to things that are truly American, like the NBA, the Chicago Bulls, things like that. I mean, the, the start of that was the reasoning behind us showing up at the Super Bowl. The right. Super Bowl being one of the most American things there are, uh, both advertising-wise, but also the, the the actual sports event showing up there is important. And then bigger things. I think when you become big, you have to add the you know purpose to some extent. I don't want to talk too much about purpose because it gets cheesy and that's not what we're doing. But our sustainability <laughs> efforts are 
um, are part of becoming a household brand. Right. And I saw that uh, the announcement you made recently about making sustainable fashion brands easier to find on the app, which is which is really cool. And we can we can get into that. Um, but the, so you Klarna did the Super Bowl in 2021, but not this year. Was there a reason you decided not to advertise this year? Uh, I mean, there are always reasons. I mean, we have to weigh <laughs> we have to weigh in all fairness, the price towards what we're getting. If the timing is right, do we have a big announcement to make? And I felt that we had so many other things going for us this year that we didn't need it to the same extent. That doesn't mean that that we're not doing it next year, right? But I also don't want to become a brand that always shows up in the same way at the Super Bowl or somewhere else, mm-hmm. but really being slightly contrarian. And, and I feel one thing that has been very successful for us as a brand is, um, it doesn't sound too scientific, but you know, when others zigzag, um, and, and I think that that was part of the decision. We did it the year before, we had many things going for us with ASAP Rocky, with the Chicago Bulls, with the new things that are coming now, with the Klarna card, in-store, mm-hmm. all of that. So it, it just didn't make sense for us. Um, but yeah. I'm not closing any doors going forward, obviously. That's fair. So talk about some of the things that um, that that you feel are giving you a lot of momentum in the U.S., the Klarna card, the Chicago Bulls partnership. Talk about these, these new... Um, strategies that you have in this market? I mean, um, what we've seen is that there is a huge appetite for what we offer consumers and for what we offer merchants, right? A better, smarter, fairer way of paying for things um, online historically, but now also physically. Uh, There's a huge demand for that. I've said it before. I do think that the financial industry, the credit card industry in general, Um, has behaved quite poorly from a consumer experience perspective, uh, has almost been ripping people off. And now that there are new ways of paying for things, not only Klarna, our competitors do it quite well as well, um, that that has sparked a huge appetite amongst consumers. They feel safer, they feel more on top of their money, um, but but also on the merchant side, it's it's become a tool for them to, to boost their sales. So us enabling, that was a long rant around, like us enabling these ways of paying um, at more places is a huge part of our strategy. So moving into in-store is a big thing, being present in in brick and mortar, being uh, integrated into the point of sale systems as one thing there, for example, um, enabling people to use us at more places. The Klarna card is a huge play when it comes to that. We also launched our desktop extension, which makes it easier when you browse around the web uh, to just pay with Klarna at any store. So mm-hmm. we're, we're a big part of our strategy is um, ubiquity. Sounds boring, but it, it basically just making sure that we enable Klarna at as many you know shopping moments as possible. The card is part of that in-store, the extension. So that's a huge thing. Yeah. So what makes you I guess I'm I'm interested like to see how Klarna is now branching out more into the physical, right? Like the physical card, mass media. What what makes you think people, you know, want another card? Why not just have them enable it through the app on their phone to use in store? Yeah, I mean, what I do, I, I, I think you're right. I think I'm right as well, because of what we're seeing <laughs> is that at the core of what consumers want, especially a younger consumer, is flexibility, mm-hmm. right? There is not a, you know, 
one size fits all uh, or you know catch all kind of solution right we need to be integrated in in the in the mobile we need to be integrated with the apple pay we need to be integrated in the point of sale system we need to have our own card because it is that flexibility that serve different use cases or different personalities and that is what makes it hard right how do you build both on the product side but also on the brand side how do you build something that's scalable and something that you can maintain uh, cost efficiently but that caters to to millions of different of people right um, and I, I think maybe this is a slight you know the, the, the derailing from your question but I do think it's really interesting how to create personalization at scale Right? right, and I think that goes back to the product as well. So, we have so many discussions product-wise on: Are we going for this or that? Do people want to take a photo of a QR code with a payment link in store, or do they want to use the Klarna card, or do they want to connect their Amex to the Klarna app? And the thing is, people want it all, and they mm -hmm. want it uh, at different occasions. So it's just it's 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 hard, but interesting at the same time. Yeah, and it's to your point, it's ubiquity, but personalization is also key. Um, so that sort of reminds me of something we talked about last time we spoke, which is your vision of, or Klarna's vision of sort of being this super app, this shopping mm -hmm. app that, um, you know, you go, you browse for for things you want to buy, but there's content around it. It's emotional. It, it almost brings back the feeling of, you know, shopping in a mall, right? Rather than the transactional nature of e-commerce. First of all, like, where are you? In, in creating that. And then also, how do you stand out from the competition? Because it feels like everybody wants to be that super shopping app these days, right? It's especially social media apps with massive user bases like TikTok and, and Instagram. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to say where we are on that. I unfortunately think that we're in the very beginning of this. The good news is that everyone else is in the beginning of this as well. I don't think we've seen the start of the super apps nor social shopping or, you, you know, buyable content or any of that yet, right? What we're trying to do is that we, we're building an app, a consumer proposition that solves as many consumer problems and needs as possible within one app. What we've seen in the research is that people use up to 26 apps in order to complete a purchase or a returns or, you know, tracking your parcel, your shipments, everything connected to that. And I just don't think that's a viable future. Um, I think we're seeing that in China, in Asia in general, that, you know, people want one app that holds your login to all of these sites, that holds all of your payment details, right? It doesn't make sense that you have a different, you know, right now you have a different password password for Instagram and then a different login for uh, for Amazon and then a different login for, you know, staying on top of your payments with Amex. Um, it just doesn't make sense. So what we're trying to do is ram all of those features into the Klarna app and everything should be connected to, you know, shopping or banking. Um, but we're in the beginning of that because it's, you know, it's... Um, Partly, it's hard to build all of that. Uh, I agree that everyone wants to be a super app and everyone's talking about being a super app. But I think we're actually starting to deliver on those features. Everything mm -hmm. that happens, what we call upstream, so all of the inspiration, curation, exploration, what happens in the actual purchase, so the transaction, and then what happens post-purchase with you know returns, um, parcel tracking, 
uh, customer support, all of that, right? Getting all of that into one app is what we're aspiring to do at least. And I think we're doing well. I mean, we have 25 million users in the US, 140 million users globally that are starting to understand what we're, we're doing. And so are you actively like you have the app now and you're building all these features into it? Yeah, exactly. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we have globally, we have about 24 million monthly active users of it. So we have an app that is widely used um, right. and, and we're building both fundamental features into that. So more flexible payment options, more of the things really connected shopping, but also more experimental stuff such as live shopping or social shopping, video shopping, whatever we call that, uh, helping people to connect the entire journey. Because right now it just doesn't make sense that expiration, transaction and post-purchase happens in different platforms. I just don't think the consumer is going to put up with that. Right. So what are some of the um, like you mentioned, sort of like shoppable content, uh, social social commerce? Do you feel that um, how far along are consumers in adopting these types of habits? And then how does that sort of help or, or constrain Klarna from building what it envisions? I mean, um, unfortunately, I think consumers right now, at least in the West, are pretty far from this. This is the de facto standard in or modus operandi in, in China and Asia, as we, we very well know. I still don't think any Western company has cracked this. Um, not even the social platforms have cracked shopping in a good way. Look at Instagram. I do not think they're proud or happy with their shopping tab or feature, right? People are just not using that, uh, partly because the product is immature, but also because the behavior isn't there yet. I think Amazon uh, Amazon Live has been ongoing for more than two years now, hasn't taken off. Uh, so from a consumer behavior perspective, I don't think we're there yet, but I don't think we've had the right approach, right? So we're constantly experimenting with the approach when it comes to content. Do people want to watch these six-hour QVC shows? Do they want the TikTok kind of experience with you know, 10-second video snippets? Do they want it live? Do they want it, you know? There's so many ways of doing this. At some point in time, someone's going to crack it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're on a good path to do so. But I also think it's fair to say consumers are not there yet. The hype around live shopping is way bigger than the actual behavior. Yeah, for sure. But as you test these different types, like what are you noticing as you test? Like, do consumers want more of a TikTok experience? Like, what are you sort of noticing as you test and learn? So that is what we're seeing right now. So, um, or uh, there are two different things, right? Uh, when we look at consumer behavior, there are basically two big streams. The one, one stream is, I know what I want to buy. I want information. I want curation. People want to search for that kind of content. There you see a behavior that is um, much more around reviews, long-form content, really demoing products, going in-depth on things, right? Mm -hmm. Or there's the behavior of, I do not know what I want to buy, but I'm bored, I want to spend some time. And I do not want to watch TikTok dances, but I want to watch shopping or product or makeup-related things. Right. Mm -hmm. And there we see way more of the TikTok like swipe experience that that is, uh, you know, that is gaining traction. 10 to 30 second fun, entertaining films around, you know, products or makeup or what you have, whatever. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So there are two different behaviors we're seeing. 
So how do you, I mean, your challenge as a marketer, as you build this out is to get, is to make Klarna known for this type of experience, right? So what are some of the things that you're doing to sort of position the brand in, in that, in that way? Yeah, I'm, I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. I do still not think that people um, engage with Klarna the first time because we have fantastic content or because we have wish lists or because we, you know, we have the package tracking, right? People engage with Klarna the first time because we have fantastic and smart ways of paying for things. Mm -hmm. So the strategy so far has been, you know, came for the payments, stayed for the content, mm. right? So a lot of making Klarna famous for the add-ons and the more, you know, spectacular uh, shopping products we have is CRM, right? Mm. So we, um, we really, you know, people get to know Klarna through our payment methods, through our partnerships with fantastic retailers and merchants, um, and then they understand all of the, you know, additional products and services we we offer on top of that so a thing like digital receipts for example which is huge especially for in-store right no one has really cracked that yet fully it's hard to become known for digital receipts but as soon as people pay with Klarna and they then start experiencing the digital receipts it's so much easier to talk about it once you've experienced it um, so CRM is really at the heart of what we do there mm -hmm. and um I remember last time we spoke, you sort of talked about how, um, like there isn't uh, creatively, there isn't like an appreciation for, for CRM and those types of executions. Like they're, they're sort of, and you, you've led an agency in, in your past, um, talk about, you know, that disconnect between creativity and, you know, the types of, of marketing and activations that actually drive your business. Yeah, exactly. I'm probably going to be hated for these kind of comments, right? But, but <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. I do not think, or, or my uh, observation right now at least, is I do not think that, especially the, the agency world, is applying their best talent towards the challenges that have the greatest impact, right? I think we're now in a spot, and I'm oversimplifying, and I'm, I'm sounding like an asshole probably, but I think often at least agencies and to some extent CMOs are applying their best talent and most of their time towards the things that are fun, right? Um, and that is also like, I'm still struggling with this internally and with our agencies that if I announce that we're going to do a Super Bowl commercial, or if I announce that we're going to do a TV campaign, I get so many talented and creative people. I have two planners and four creatives or 20 creatives, whatever, that want to have a go at that, right? And a TV campaign for us is big, but it's not fantastically big, right? As I told you the last time we spoke, we do about two, uh, two to three million transactions a day, mm -hmm. depending on uh, what day it is, right? three million transactions per day that accumulates quite quickly over a month and we send one to three emails depending on the transaction per those transactions right that is a massive amount of impressions that those kind of things have and they're very you know close to the heart of people because they have bought something they like it's about payments it's extremely important if i announce or create a project around like how do we get these transactional emails to look like a million bucks and create engagement and you know 
have the perfect balance between entertainment and information, no one signs up for that project because mm -hmm. it's about CRM, it sounds boring, a transactional automated email, right? Those are the kind of things where I think there is just such an imbalance in how we work. So the thing I'm trying to push internally is really, okay, can we put our best talent towards what is unfortunately widely known as the most boring but impactful channels? So <laughs> I, well, our push notifications, like we can send a push notification in our app to 30 million people. They look like crap. Why? Like what, why isn't the best talent applied to that? That, well, that just boggles my mind. Why do you think? I think, and again, I, I, I'm probably going to be hated, but I don't think that the incentives are aligned in a good way. Like mm -hmm. creating a fantastic Super Bowl or TV ad might, you know, end you up in can. You know, your peers are going to celebrate you. Um, you. You might get all of the, you know loads of free um, party invitations and you might get a promotion because you want a lion and stuff like that right uh, th that's the incentive there no one's really going to thank you except for the you know um, the business itself for you creating a fantastic CRM email and and that is where I think there's just such an imbalance in in incentives right we haven't found a smart way of aligning those no, it's so true. So how do you, um, like, I guess, how do you get your teams excited about it? Or are you still trying to figure that out? I'm figuring that out. So one year we have, we don't compete with anything, like no competitions, no uh, award shows whatsoever. We just do what's right. Um, that's one thing. I've also tried with, you know, restricting time saying, hey, you can spend one day a week on this thing, but we need to spend four days a week on the things that really matter, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think the thing that has um, had the most impact is just really building this into the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. Because this is not like, a, this is not a thing like everyone's like this or everyone's like that, right? We, we have to find the right creative talent that understands this, that wants to work with having an impact. I think, you know, finding creatives that are truly passionate about sparking a, you know, change, consumer behavioral change, that is something that we need to build into the recruitment process. And we have to some extent. So less about the, uh, less about the awards, more about the impact on the consumer, which I think a lot of times gets forgotten in this industry. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think it's about the awards per se, right? I think you can find, you, th there has to be a middle ground or where you know two things can be uh, true at the same time, right? It's not awards or impact, right? Why can't we have both? I just yeah. haven't found that balance yet. And so how do you build that into your recruitment process? You said that you've started. No, but I think it's a lot about, you know, understanding the values, understanding what, you know, gets people going, um, understanding, you know, where they are in their career as well, like what is important to them, um, but also explaining to them what is important to Klarna, how you make your career at Klarna, that, you know, getting, you know, into the weeds when it comes to what does it mean having an impact to you, um, but then also like what I think it's just so important that above anything else, we need to create things that consumers love. 
Mm-hmm. Right? We need to create things that consumers love, that they think uh, um, is helpful to them. And really just digging into those kind of topics and understanding the inner workings of people that we hire. Uh, I, I don't have a you know, catch-all question that, that is binary, um, but it's just really digging into those kind of topics. And so does Klarna work with agencies now? Like as you, I know you do a lot in-house, but as you lean more into mass media, what's, how is your relationship with the agency world changed? I don't think it has changed that much. It's how we work with agencies, really, that, that where I'm, I don't like outsourcing big problems to agencies. I think that's a thing of the past. Um, that is what I was used to when, it, when I was agency side. Um, big brands or big companies f- came to us with problems in their brand or in their narrative or sometimes even in their core values right and said hey guys we don't have any core values can you help us with that um and and outsource that problem to an agency and i i i don't have a huge amount of respect for that the way we use agencies is really to team up with us because we very well notice that that we don't have you know all of the creative talent needed or all of the strategic talent needed in many cases we don't have the best strategic or creative talent needed in the team like the best in the world in order to achieve what we want to achieve but we never outsource the full problem to the agency so we really team up with them right so in my view the ownership always lies with us i see them as an extended world-class arm of my team right i see them as a team but i would never brief an agency and then cross my fingers that they're going to solve my problem because I think that's just a lazy way to approach things. So it's just how we work with agencies rather than if we work with them, because agencies are fantastic. They have so much creative talent. I appreciate the outside perspective, sometimes the, you know, naiveness that is needed in order to really, you know, create something new and and break old habits. I appreciate all of that. It's just, I do not want to become this lazy client that outsources my problems to them. I, I, I want to work on the solutions together with them. So do you see them in more of an executional role then? Uh, way more nowadays. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I know when I was agency side, again, I sound old, I'm not that old. But when I was agency side, it was like you really wanted to be the strategic agency. Every time someone talked about execution, you almost felt offended by that, right? You were the big thinker, we're a strategic agency. Um, whereas I, you know, I often like very simple strategies executed brilliantly. So mm-hmm. uh, I also don't think, I, I've come to respect the fact that it's often easy to agree on a strategic level because everything sounds smart, everything sounds good. The magic always happens in the execution, like agreeing and aligning on the how, working on the how, saying that we need to be a transparent and honest and fair fintech, that that's the strategy. It's like, yeah, probably sounds good, right? Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Getting into the weeds. So yes, I really love agencies that get into execution, like because Mm -hmm. to me, that's the hard part. Right. So I want to circle back to something you said about we were like kind of getting into the purpose conversation and you said, no, that's cheesy. I don't want to talk too much about it. What's your philosophy about brands and purpose and this whole conversation that that CMOs are always having? Uh, 
I mean, I have a lot of opinions on that, but but I Go think what we've seen with <laughs> what we've seen with um, the the whole purpose discussion is, in my opinion, that it's gone slightly haywire, right? Brands that have no inherent purposes start coming up with purposes, um, and and they seem to be competing on, you know, who can have the highest of purposes, and who like I. There was a point in time where everyone their purpose was to make the world a better place, and I think a lot of agencies still have that. Like we're here to make the world a better place, and I'm. I don't know. I think you know. I, I spend so much time talking to consumers and really meeting the actual customers. It's like. It doesn't seem like anyone's buying into that. Like, right. I, I I do not think that you know the the language and approach and strategy that is being utilized by many of the big brands resonate or are even you know on the same wavelength as many consumers. I still think a purpose is extremely important, but I do think the purpose has to it has to be true it has to make sense it doesn't always have to you know be saving the world like mm -hmm. creating the best ice cream in the world that you know puts a smile on people's face like it's a fantastic purpose right like it's a fantastic purpose it's just i think that um and and sometimes i feel like the 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 you know almost the more evil the brands are, the higher purpose they formulate for themselves. So there's something strange to that as well. With yeah. that said, I do think there's something uh, to um, corporate citizenship that makes a lot of sense. Like a lot of big brands have a role to play in, you know, changing how consumers work, changing how, basically changing how the world works. Mm -hmm. But it has to, you know, come from a place that is true and makes sense and it's relevant because consumers are smart nowadays. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they it's just too transparent when it's bullshit, especially the younger generation has a, I, I think their bullshit detector is just fantastic. Right. Like no one believes that like, you know, a, a toilet cleaner is, is trying to save the world. So if you were, if you were going to define Klarna's purpose from that perspective that you just gave us, what would it be? Like our bigger purpose is that the world is being ripped off and paying way too much money in order to handle their own money. So mm -hmm. payments is costing the world about $8 trillion a year just to pay for things, mm -hmm. right? That is a tax that is being applied to, to the world by big banks and big fintechs. So just saving people that money, saving people the, you know, uh, the frustration that comes with dealing with these old incumbent companies, that is what we do. Yeah. Right. At some point in time, there's going to come a company that does that even better than us. But I do think the next wave is here with Klarna. Yeah, I think that's a good purpose. <laughs> um, so, so one thing I want to ask you about from a creative standpoint, because I know Klarna has done some really interesting things in the gaming space. Um, metaverse has taken off as like the biggest buzzword of the year. Mm -hmm. What do you sort of see from a creative perspective, from a fintech perspective, as as Klarna's role in this in this new ecosystem? <laughs> well, that that is a big question. I think at some point in time we need to be present there, wherever there is. Like it, it doesn't seem to be fully defined yet where exactly the metaverse is. But with that said, I think we're seeing a huge global shift that is, you know, increasing rapidly 
where your digital persona becomes almost more important than your physical one or your IRL one, right? So we will have to cater to that as well uh, at some point in time. With that said, what we do is we help consumers and merchants make better business, right? Like we connect consumers with businesses, businesses with consumers. And like when people want to, you know, start buying things in the metaverse at scale, I think we're going to move into that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the reason why we, for example, haven't moved into crypto um, and, and crypto is because what we've seen and we've tested this a lot and our merchants have tested this a lot is there is no real consumer demand for being able to pay with crypto as mm -hmm. we are. There are probably loads of people screaming listening to this podcast right now saying I'm wrong, but we've tested it a lot. Um, and crypto for the time being seems to be a, you know, investment instrument seems to be a tool for speculation and we can't do that right mm -hmm. if there was enough consumer demand for paying with crypto we would probably move into that at some point in time and the same goes for the metaverse with that said the metaverse lends itself tremendously well for you know pr stunts campaigns mm -hmm. doing fun things that might not be possible in the real world so yeah i like we're obviously exploring that as well but as a substantial part of our business i don't think we're there yet so you're waiting for uh, for some tangible use cases, not not just the hype. Yeah, exactly. And I think as a business, you just have to um, you have to understand like what are the areas where you want to be a first mover, and mm -hmm. what are the areas where you're happy to follow the you know the mass adoption of things. Um, and especially when it comes to crypto, um, we are on the mass adoption part. When it comes to the you know metaverse and NFTs and paying for that, for example, um, I think from a marketing perspective, we we can move way faster than as a business because that just does make sense to us. Yeah, that's a good point. So, what are some of your as a CMO? What are some of your biggest like? What do you have your eye on right now? What are some of your biggest focus areas? What keeps you up at night? Ooh, I mean, they're both fun and not so fun things. Um, I think, uh, you know, the um, the fun things that keep me up is really the, the next wave of e-commerce. Uh, we've talked about that before. We touched upon it briefly in the podcast here. But, you know, buyable content, the next wave of e-commerce, how are people going to buy things online? Is it, you know, is it through influencers? Is it through social platforms? Is it, you know, in a completely different way? But I do think e-commerce as we know it has plateaued slightly um, mm. and in order to reach the next you know level of that in order for e-commerce to become 40 50 percent of of retail sales um, I, I think we're in a shift there so that is something I'm thinking a lot about like how can we spark that what's the next wave of e-commerce how do people actually want to buy things and where do they want to buy things and in what format again is it video is it images is it peer-to-peer -peer? is it mlm i don't know you know there there's so many ways of doing that so so that is really an exciting part of you know what i'm spending a lot of time on and then when it comes to the more keeping me up at night in a not in a bad way but things i find hard is like how do you scale a brand like Klarna as rapidly as we do to 30 markets in 14 languages and keep control of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, do we go for full centralization or you know, a completely decentralized system? Do we 
you know, do we target being hyper relevant everywhere and the maintenance and cost that takes? Or is it okay to be less relevant, but, you know, have a coherent global brand that is easy to scale and to maintain? Those kind of things are hard. Those are really, really hard. And that makes you, you know, more... Uh, partly more impressed by by companies like Apple. Obviously, again, cheesy to say, but but you know, once you, you once you're facing those kind of challenges, you get even more impressed than what you were before, right? But right. it also gives you an understanding of why big global brands, bigger campaigns, often look very bland and boring mm-hmm. because they've taken the easy way out and just like, what's the you know common denominator you know global common denominator for this campaign is a bland boring you know 30 second ad and they've taken the easy way out i had zero respect for that five years ago now i at least understand why why it looks like it does well so as you face these challenges of scaling like are you leaning into more local hyper personalization like you know will you be upset if you see klarna becoming that bland global least common denominator yes i will be very upset (laughs) because it's part of our dna as well and i think that although we're growing in size we're still challenging this trillion billion gazillion dollar industry right right and if you want to be a challenger you have to be challenging you have to be contrarian you have to you know come with something fresh and new so i'd hate to see that with that said, my current thinking is that you know centralization and globalization is important to us. Mm-hmm. If we beca- just because of the growth, not because I think that centralization and globalization are better than decentralization and regionalization. It's just at this phase of our growth, it is better because if we grow this rapidly and are decentralized, I do think that the almost the compounding interest we will pay on that in a couple of years is uh, is too big, right? If we were established in all of the markets and wanted to make a rebranding or needed to revitalize, uh, revitalize our, our brand, then it would be okay, right? Then it would be okay because we were up and running, we weren't hyper-growing. But I do think choosing hyper-growth and decentralization, that's the dangerous mix. Mm, yeah, you have to you have to be able to, you know, support global growth and scale and then sort of think about how you how you localize after that is yeah. it sort of makes sense to me. But, well, seems like Klarna definitely has a lot of exciting uh, growth and uh, disruption ahead. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes. So thank you so much for joining me, David. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.